Galatians chapter 5, we are continuing our sermon series, Going Deep, Journey of Spiritual Transformation. And we've been talking about um, the role of the Holy Spirit as we have uh, continued in our journey. Uh, can everybody just look up here as you're looking? I, I want to say this. I want to say this before I uh, continue. About three, four weeks ago in Ephesians 5, we talked about do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, people that are drunk say all kinds of stupid things that are offensive and hurtful. Unfortunately, people that claim to be, quote unquote, drunk in the spirit also say all kinds of stupid, dumb things, too. And some of you in this room have been hurt by people who claim to be filled or drunk with the Holy Spirit and said some things to you. And so whenever the topic of the Holy Spirit comes up, you clam up and you go, <gasps> am I speaking to anybody? That's, yeah, yeah. So first and foremost, I'm sorry, deeply sorry, just as a pastor, as a Christian, that you're somebody maybe that encountered something like that, that closed you off to this incredibly important role in the person of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for you all this week has been, if somebody in the name of, see, we think of do not use the Lord's name in vain as profanity. I think Christians use the Lord's name in vain by speaking on behalf of God when God had no business speaking that into your life. And I'm sorry if you've been hurt. And my prayer for this week has been that your heart wouldn't be closed as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit because the reminder of that just brings up all kinds of bad memories. Ephesians of Galatians chapter 5. Let's go ahead and Look at this passage together. But walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We've been saying all along that a lot of us make the mistake of equating spiritual maturity with having a lot of Bible knowledge or following rules in the Bible, right? The problem is just by having more Bible knowledge doesn't necessarily mean to spiritual maturity because some of the people that I know who know the most about the Bible tend to be some of the least loving people. And for some of us, we equate being spiritually mature with following rules really well in the Bible. The problem is, if you think that the essence of the Christian life is following the rules really well, you're going to always look at your spiritual Christian life as an obligation rather than a desire of your heart. And the other problem is, you could, 
The other problem is that you can't, there's a huge difference between following rules and following Jesus, right? Because you could follow rules without cultivating the right heart. And if you don't cultivate the right heart and yet you follow the rules really well, you're going to use rules to hurt people. How many of you know what that feels like? A rule-centered life without cultivating the right heart where Jesus is front and center, you're going to be self-righteous and arrogant. And you're going to be that type of Christian that's hurtful to other people. Spiritual maturity is not about more Bible knowledge and following the rules. Spiritual maturity, first and foremost, is about cultivating the right heart. What we've said as we looked at this passage is that as we talk about spiritual maturity, there are essentially two approaches to life. You could either walk according to the flesh, the Bible says, or you could walk according to the spirit. And those two are not what many of you think they are. What is walking according to the flesh? It's not some deviant sexual thing in the corner somewhere. Here's what it means to walk according to the flesh. And Christian or not, you and I are prone to do this all day, every day. Walking according to the flesh is, if you put up the definition, please. Trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. Retaining control over my life. Giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. The essence of spiritual immaturity, I'll talk about this. Essence of spiritual immaturity is self-centeredness, is self-absorption, is self-justification, is self-pity, it's neediness. That's the essence of spiritual immaturity. And the Bible says, if your approach to life is one of that, here's what's going to happen, right? The fruit of developing such a life is, and according to uh, Paul, Galatians 5, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. This is the message translation of the same passage. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. Can I just say something? Do you know why God doesn't want us to have premarital sex? Because God wants you to have fearless sex. That's why. Can I show you what that means? Do you know what premarital sex is like? And the reason why God says sex is within the context of marriage. I know this is like uncool to talk about in America in the 21st century. But let me tell you what it is, okay? And hopefully some of you will say amen and resonate with this. The Bible says sex is to be best enjoyed in the context of marriage. You know what marriage is? It's a covenant. You know what a covenant is? Covenant is when you publicly stand and say, I permanently, legally, exclusively, with everything that I am, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, commit myself totally to you. In that context, sex is awesome. Why? It's fearless. It's without insecurity that says, are you going to leave me? What if this doesn't work out? What if things don't go right? The reason why the result of walking according to the flesh is cheap, loveless sex is because we base our decisions on my fears and my insecurity. Result? God wants us to have fearless sex. That's why he says do it in the context of marriage. Not because he's a joy killer who says, no, no. He wants wants you to have the best sex possible. And he says, to do that, you got to be fearless. And fearless sex is the context of two people who go, I ain't going anywhere. I'm here. All of me. Amen? Amen? It switches around, doesn't it? It's not rules. Fearless sex. Yeah, you could tell your friends that. My pastor, what did he talk about? He talked about having fearless sex. 
Keep going. A stinking accumulation of mental, emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grass for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness. Do you know why paranoid loneliness results in walking, results from walking according to the flesh? Because walking according to the flesh is my needs, my desires. If you want to live in a world where you're your own God, that means you're living in a world where there's room for only one person. That is a lonely universe. If you, if your posture towards life is my needs, my desires, my wants, you could be around lots of people and still be extremely lonely. Devastatingly lonely. Your universe could become much larger if you were willing to become appropriately smaller. Cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once. Brutal temper, impotence to love and to be loved. Divided homes and divides. You see how this is the natural, inevitable result of walking according to the flesh. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Can I just, Christian or not, is that a way to live? So why are you living that way? And the thing is, none of you looked at that list and go, I want to live like that. Of course you don't. But what you are doing is, I'm going to live my life and my strength and my determination with my wants, my desires and fears and control. Now, last week we talked about, another way to look at this is that's two operating systems, remember? The flesh operating system and the spirit operating system. I'm sorry if I offended those of y'all that use PCs. Didn't mean to go there. The flesh operating system, spirit operating system. For those of you that know what I'm talking about, that good. You weren't, you weren't offended last week. What is the flesh operating system? And why does it result in all of the stuff we looked at today? Here it is. Verse uh, 17 of Galatians 5. Paul says, for the flesh sets his desire against the spirit. The flesh operating system, what? Creates passions and desires. The word desires is literally the Greek word for lust. And it doesn't mean like evil desire. What the flesh operating system does is it takes our hearts and it creates over desire. Inordinate desire. All-consuming desire. Here's what the flesh outbrings us. Daniel, are you nodding because you could totally resonate? Flesh outbrings us. What does it do? It takes perfectly good things like money, success, family, job, relationships. And what does it do? It takes it and he sucks it into the center of your heart. And flesh outbrings us gets that. And what does it say? It says, I have to have that in order to be okay. That is what makes me okay. And if I don't have that, my life is worthless. My life is meaningless. This and not Jesus is what will make me happy. Flesh operating system. So you and I take human approval. It's good to have a good reputation, a good name. Asians, that's huge for us, right? We were drilled with that. But what does it do? It takes human approval. It sucks it in the center of our hearts. And what does it say? You say, unless these people like me, Unless they approve of me, I am nothing. What do you get? Out of control people pleaser. Takes relationships. Good to have relationships. Good to date somebody. Good to be in love. But it's such a system. Takes that into the center of your heart. And you say what? This relationship is what makes me okay. This relationship was make me significant. My life meaningful. And you put the kind of weight that your soul can't bear on that relationship. And when the relationship falls apart, your life feels meaningless. Why? If the very thing you put meaning in life is gone, of course your life is going to feel meaningless. 
You know what else it does? It takes things like race, ethnicity. Perfectly good to be proud of who you are, your culture. But it sucks that in the center of your heart, what do you get? Racism, ethnocentrism. I am better than you. The flesh operating system takes these things and it makes our ego into a sniveling, snarling, craving thing that always needs more success, more approval, more, 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 more. It's never happy, ever. That's why some of you are not just disappointed, you're despondent. It's one thing to be angry, but it's another thing to be embittered. It's one thing to be worried, another thing to be paralyzed with fear. All of our out-of-control fear, anger, worry, anxiety, insecurity, your life has taken something, sucked it into the center of your heart, and you've said, this is what gives me life. So here's a question, evaluative question. Am I relying on something in this area more than I'm relying on God for my hope and meaning? Is there something in your area? Be totally honest. I'm glad Pastor Michael challenged us today because you know what? Be totally honest. You got to be able to look at that idol or that thing in your life and go, right now, Peter, I'm looking at that and going, that is more important to me than Jesus. That right there is what gives me life significance. That right there is what gives me meaning. You need to be able to be honest and go, that right there is what I'm looking to. What is it? What is it? Paul says there's another way to live, though. It's walking according to the Spirit. Walking according to the Spirit. What is walking according to the Spirit? Look at this definition we've been working with, right? Walking according to the Spirit is living myself sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. I'm so glad. And Michael, Spirit must be working. You know, you know what? Do you know that if you're a Christian, do you know that you are, have the ability to hear God? Is it amazing to anybody? You and I have the ability... For God, in front, to speak to our hearts in such a way that we go, that's God. Here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit comes in our promptings and speaks to us and we ignore it, our hearts become hardened. If conviction of the Spirit doesn't lead to conversion in your life, you lose the ability to hear God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We've all been there. Holy Spirit speaking. Why are you doing that? Don't go there. Shouldn't be involved in that. Stop. Pause. Ignore it. Ignore it. After a while, what? Your hearts and our hearts become hardened to hear the voice of God. Let me say it again. If conviction of the Spirit doesn't lead to conversion, change, and transformation, you lose the ability to hear the voice of God. The inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. What's empowerment of the Holy Spirit? When you come against that anger, living your life, when you come against that temptation, when you come against the out-of-control emotions, it's pausing and it's saying, Holy Spirit, I can't handle this. Holy Spirit, I can't, de- I can't, I don't have the ability, I don't have the self-control, I don't have the patience, love. I can't hand- I can't deal with this right now. So I am going to trust your ability for my inability. I said this last week, walking according to the Spirit, if you're walking according to the Spirit, you activate your faith before you activate your will. A Spirit-walking person believes before they behave. How? When you come against that, you pause and you say, God, I don't have the ability to deal with this. 
I don't have the strength. You know how I do. (laughs) We know where that goes. So here's what I'm doing. I am pausing and saying, I can't, but you can. And when you pause and acknowledge your inability and trust his ability and create space, the Holy Spirit fills that space. Somebody said last week, somebody said last week, do we have time to do this? Can I ask you a question? How many of you struggle with the same things? Most of us. That temptation, you know when and how it comes. Can I get an amen? Amen. Of course. None of us are walking around going, oh, it happened again. You knew it was going to happen. Do you know what I'm talking about? Our struggles and that person at work, you know she just ran the corner. Oh, she just gets a woman. We know. Is there time? Of course there's time. So before you're in the thick of it, start the day by saying, I can't. But you can. And I pause. Is anybody hearing me? I, pa- I pause and I create space and the Holy Spirit comes and he fills that space. And we respond by walking in faith. That's what it means to walk according to the Spirit. So many of us, we're going to go home tonight, and maybe like 10 o'clock, you know it's coming. So instead of going, well, I'm in the thick of it, by the time you're going, oh, I, what am I? It's too late. Pause. I can't, but you can. Space for you, Spirit of God. Come and fill it. Come and fill it. In such a way that his influence is leading dominate our entire being. There are two things that you need to know about what it means to walk according to the Spirit. One is total dependence. Everybody, can you look up here for a second? The spirit-filled life begins when you are convinced, not when you say you are convinced, when you really are convinced that you can do nothing apart from the spirit of God. Majority of us, we're not convinced that we can't do anything apart from the spirit of God. We say we are, but we're not. So here's the second thing God does. Total surrender. Here's what God will do to you and me. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're going through it right now. God will bring you and I to a place where surrender is the only thing we can do. God is an expert at engineering circumstances, emotionally, financially, relationally, health-wise, to bring us to that place where we go, God, I can't handle this. I've got no place to go. He brings us to that place where we have nothing to do but to say, it's got to be you because I can't. That's why spiritual growth happens the most during times when we're in the valley, not in the mountaintop. During times, you know, the times we hate with the passion. (laughs) Oh, we hate it with the passion. Times in the valley when things are hard are the most fruitful times in which God does his work. And yet we go, don't want it! I don't want to get through it! Life easier! Please, more comfortable! Right now! And God goes, you have no idea that the best work I'm doing right now is in this place. Do you know why this is so important? You probably couldn't tell, but I actually had ambitions one, one time to be a, a lifeguard, actually. I, I, I really wanted to be a lifeguard when I was in high school. Not like for a living. You know, I wanted to get a lifeguard certificate. Here's one of the things they teach you. And this is probably common knowledge. When somebody's drowning and they're flailing about, you don't go out there and go and, and try and rescue them. Why? Because when they're flailing about, you go right down with them. What do you do as a lifeguard? You wait until they stop flailing, when they become exhausted, when they become pliable, 
when they become, I can't do anything. In other words, when they become willing to let you help them is when you can actually help them. Majority of us right now, we're saying, God, I don't want you to help me. I don't want to be led by you. Frankly, I don't want to be led by anyone other than myself. So God is bringing some of you and I to a place where we Are you done yet? And if you're like me, no, I'm not done yet. Are you done yet? No, I'm not done. Okay. I love you. I'm right here. Are you done yet? Almost, God. Almost. Almost. <laughs> almost, God. Give me like two more months. Almost, God. Almost, God. Are you done yet? Almost. Oh. And finally, when you say, I can't. And God says, now nah, we're ready. This relationship the time it takes to catch on to this relationship depends on us, not God. Those of us that grew up in culture of rededication, this isn't rededication. Do you hear me? This is not rededication. Rededication is you telling God how much you are going to do better next time. That's rededication. Surrender is not you telling God how much you are going to do better next time. Surrender is you going, I can't. I'm done. So I'm not going to rededicate for the 10th time to follow Jesus. Do you know why rededications never work for the majority of us? Because rededication is not preceded by brokenness. You can rededicate 100 times. That's why in our church, I don't go, this morning again, we're going to rededicate. Those of you that want to rededicate to Jesus. And you come down the aisle, I rededicate for like the 19th time. Do you know why? Because rededication is about you committing to God how much you are going to do better. Surrender is you saying, I can't. You're going to have to do it in me. Surrender is not rededication. Walking in the Spirit, God, I'm going to promise to do better. I rededicate to following you, Jesus. Uh Uh-uh. Surrender is, I don't have what it takes to live this life, but you do. Come and do it in me. What does it look like? What does it look like? What does it look like when we're walking according to the Spirit? There's an objective standard, Paul says, which we can measure the vitality of our walk in the Spirit. It's verses 22 to 23. Now, here's the thing. As I've been preaching this, a bunch of people come up and say, Pastor Peter, are you going to do a sermon series looking at each of the character attributes of the fruit of the Spirit? I said, no. I said, why not? Because I said, Paul doesn't. I said, what do you mean? I said, do you see anywhere in the Bible where Paul says, this is the fruit of the Spirit? Chapter 6, Galatians, verse 1. Love is... Half a chapter on what love. Half a chapter. Do you know why Paul doesn't do this? Because he knows you and me. You know what we tend to do? We look at this list and we go, that's what it looks like to walk in the spirit. So I'm going to what? I'm going to try. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's not a to-do list. That is a result list. That is an evidence list. That's what your life looks like when you walk according to the Spirit. You and I can't produce this. Are you kidding me? We can't make this happen. So please go home and take off. If you got post-its going, I need to be more loving tomorrow. Take it off. That's not the way it works. The way it works is I need to walk according to the Spirit tomorrow. And the fruit of that is all these things. You can't produce this. I can't produce That's why Paul doesn't spend time on it. He says, this is not the focus of the attention on what the fruit is. 
Okay? Let's look at the fruit, and I'll tell you if you are living in this or not. Okay? Love. Serving the needs of other people for their sake, not yours. Joy, delight in God for who he is in himself and not for what he gives. Peace, confidence and rest in God's wisdom rather than your own. Patience, ability to suffer trouble without blowing up or giving up. Kindness, comparison, compassion that offers true friendship, not just help. Goodness, honesty, transparency, being the same in all situations. Faithfulness, loyalty and courage to be principle driven, utterly reliable, true to one's word. Gentleness, humility, blessed self-forgiveness, self-control to master our emotions and desire rather than to master us. That's all I'm going to preach on in terms of the characteristics, okay? Did you get that? You know why? Because the more I preach on it, the more you're going to go home and go, I need to be more loving. I need to be more patient. And that is religious walking according to the flesh, not spirit. How do you know if you're walking according to the spirit? Looking at these trips, two things. Two things, and we're done today. One, if you're walking according to spirit, these attributes, they're growing together. Did somebody say, yeah, they're growing together. Here's what I mean by that. Most of us will take a look at this and here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, I'm pretty good at those. I'm bad at those. I've got some of those. I don't have some of those. How many of you are doing that right now? Right? All of us. We're doing that. Some of those, some of those. Says, I'm kind of loving, but I have no peace in my life. I'm filled with anxiety. Or someone goes, I'm a pretty gentle person, but uh, the faithfulness thing, bold, assertive, courage, fearless, you know? So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive. I'm a good listener. I'm gentle with people, but I'm not assertive, and I don't like conflict. I don't like to speak out. Or some people go, I'm direct, I'm assertive, I like to tell the truth, I like to confront, but I'm not gentle, I'm not sensitive. We all take a look and go, I'm okay here, I'm not there. But you know what Paul says? Paul says, if you're walking according to the Spirit, what I just did the exercise, he says, that's impossible. Do you know why? The word fruit is what? Singular. Somebody say, huh, huh? The word fruit is singular. Do you notice that? Eddie, you might be able to appreciate this. One diamond could have many facets, but you don't consider each facet every diamond. It's one facet or one diamond with many, many facets. And Paul is saying that the fruit, singular, of the spirit, supernaturally produced character, has all these aspects, but they come together. Can I, like, spell this out for you? Let me break this down for you. See how this works, right? Check this out. Spiritual immaturity. As I said earlier, it's self-centeredness, self-absorption, self-pity, self-justification, neediness, right? The essence of spiritual immaturity is self-absorption with yourself. Spiritual maturity happens when God-centeredness displaces self-centeredness. Spiritual maturity happens when God-centeredness displaces self-centeredness. In other words, spiritual maturity is a process in which love for God, as a process in which joy for God, is a process in which love for other people begins to replace and displace selfishness, self-absorption, self-justification, self-pity, and neediness. Okay? That's what spiritual maturity is, spiritual growth. And when spiritual maturity begins to happen, all the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest in us. Let me spell out for you. Some of us, we're temperamentally naturally gentle. Would you say? Some of us, we're temperamentally naturally assertive. Let me just ask, how many of y'all temperamentally naturally assertive, bold, confront, tell the truth type? No, seriously, raise your hand. I'd like to see Really? Wow. So there's very few of you that could relate to your pastor then. Okay. How many of you guys are temperamentally, naturally gentle, sensitive, caring? Wow, Michael, did you see that? That's the majority of our church. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. For those of us that are naturally, temperamentally, gentle, sensitive, so on and so forth, 
You know what that is? You know what that is? Naturally, it's a form of cowardice. And there are many of you that are nodding your head. For those of you who just go, did he just call me a coward? But you can't do anything because you're not assertive. You're just going. <laughs> That's right. I'm thinking on you. What are you going to do about it? If you're temperamentally not gentle, sensitive, it's a form. You know, here's the reason why. Do you know the reason why you can't be assertive, confront, tell the truth? Is why? Because you're afraid they're going to leave you. You're afraid they won't love you anymore. You're afraid they won't like you. You're afraid of the consequence ramifications. So your natural temperamental sensitivity is about you, is about you, and not love for somebody else. Because if you truly love that person, you would be willing to confront, tell the truth when they need it. True? So being naturally sensitive and gentle is a form of self-absorption, selfishness, self-centeredness, a form of cowardice. Now check this out. Now others of us who are assertive, bold, <laughs> temperamentally assertive boldness is also arrogance. Do you know why? The reason why we, I speak my bold, assertive, confident is because we're arrogant and we actually think we're better than other people. But here's what happens. Assertiveness it's superiority complex without the gentleness and sensitivity. Gentleness and sensitivity is an inferiority complex without the assertiveness and boldness. So naturally, all of us are going to be one or the other. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, they both grow together. When the Holy Spirit begins to manifest in us, the naturally sensitive person, gentle person that doesn't want to confront, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and you realize it's not about me. It's not about me not being liked or that person leaving me. It's about that friend, that loved one knowing truth. And so even though it's uncomfortable, I'm going to speak truth because I'm more concerned about them being people of truth than what I feel. Amen. And if you're naturally assertive and bold, the Holy Spirit comes and humbles your heart and goes, who do you think you are? How can you not be awestruck by the greatness of the soul in front of you because of the fact that Christ is at work in them? So you can be assertive and bold, but you're deeply compassionate and gentle at the same time. They both grow together. Is this happening to you? That's why it's fruit, singular. Unless you're growing all of them, you're not actually growing in any of them. You might be temperamentally gentle, but if you're not becoming more assertive, you're not becoming supernaturally gentle. You might be temperamentally assertive and true type, but if you're not becoming more gentle and sensitive, you're not supernaturally assertive. Unless these things are growing in your life together, you can't be sure that the Spirit is at work in you. How are you doing? How am I doing? As we look at those characteristic attributes and those attributes that are not naturally us, are those attributes growing to a greater degree in your life? Hmm? Secondly, how do you know? Not only is this growing together, how do you know it's real authentic? It's not environmentally sensitive. And I love this. Church, it says fruit of the what? Say it with me. Fruit of the what? Most of us, you know what it looks like? It's fruit of the circumstances. Fruit of the, my bank account. Fruit of the, my relationship status on Facebook. Fruit of the, 
The list goes on, right? What does the Bible say? It is the fruit of the what? It's fruit of the what? Spirit. That means that the world and the circumstances can't steal our joy, our love, and peace because it's not rooted in the circumstances of the world. It is rooted in who? In the Spirit of God. There's nothing in the world that can shake it and uproots you from it because it doesn't have its source system. Imagine that tree. Source system in conditions and circumstances of the world. It is rooted in who? Christ. And the Spirit of God. That's why, and you're not going to like this, that's why when things are not going well, when circumstances and relationships take a turn for the worst, is when you best see what the source of your character is. I've met some non-Christians who are more kind and loving than Christians. You know what I'm talking about? They blow me away in terms of their character. And everybody, just about everybody, exercises self-control at some levels. But just because a person is patient doesn't mean that they're walking in the Spirit, does it? No. Why? The same goes for other eight qualities. Because the thing that says the fruit of the Spirit, apart from the counterpart, is the fruit of the Spirit endures through the chaos of life. Through difficult, harsh circumstances. Because it's one thing to have peace and joy when everything is going your way. It's another thing altogether to maintain your peace and joy when the bottom falls out. It's one thing to love your family. It's another thing to love your enemy. What is often passed off as a fruit of the Spirit is nothing more than fruit of desirable circumstances or mutually beneficial relationships. And this counterfeit fruit has its root system deeply tied to the surrounding environment. So when the environment changes, the fruit withers and dies, and it's so usually a quick death. This explains why wonderful Christians turn into such ogres when circumstances get bad. This is the reason why godly men up and leave their wives and their children. And this is the reason why godly women just go, oh, Christianity is not working for me when things don't go the way they want it to. Fruit of the, say it with me, church, the spirit. As long as your character and my character is tied to circumstances, as long as our commitment to Christ is tied to circumstances, it is going to be fragile at best. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be as subject to change as the Chicago weather. The winds of change. It's 70 degrees nice outside. Oh, look at that. They're very pleasant to be around. It's 30 degrees and frigid. Oh, my gosh. What happened to you? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And somebody goes, where is the sustaining, enduring through the chaos, through difficult circumstances, character fruit? Born of the Spirit. I've noticed that the areas in which Jenny and I are different provide the best opportunities for demonstration of unconditional love. This past summer, for Jenny's birthday party, a birthday, a bunch of our friends bought two tickets to go see Josh Groban <laughs> at the United Center. Byron just says, Who's that? I, 
Can somebody help me out? How do you how do you explain Josh Groban? How do you describe Josh Groban? Yes. You raise me up. Da, 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 da. That, that, that's him. That's him. So basically, I was at the United Center with 15,000 middle-aged white women. Okay? That's what that was. Okay? Yes. 15,000. No offense to middle-aged white women in our church. I'm just saying, okay? And they all, for some reason, look like they were from Minnesota. I don't know what that's all about, okay? And the accents. Where are you from? Minnesota? I don't know. It was, it was just, and I'm telling we parked, and we're walking to the United Center, and I got my wife. I'm holding her hand, and I'm walking and going, Jenny. <laughs> I said, I am really feeling uncomfortable. And what made it even worse was the last time I was at the United Center, I was there for a U2 concert during their Elevation Tour, okay? So here I am sitting with 15,000 middle-aged white women who are tweeting their friends about Josh Groban. And I'm sitting there going, Jenny, I love you. I love If you ever doubted my love for you, this right here is my love for you. Do you realize in relationships, when you actually suggest to someone that you love, something that is totally contrary to what you want, it's the best way that you say, I love you. It's the same way. It's the same way with the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same way with the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody, anybody, anybody can say, you know what, I will love you. Anybody can be a nice person when the circumstances are going well, when life is happening exactly the way we want to. But the fruit of the Spirit best demonstrates its divine source when circumstances and relationships take a turn for the worst. Joy of the Spirit shines the brightest when the circumstances of life get darker and darker. The peace of the Spirit shines the strongest when the circumstances around you say you should be anxious, you should be worried. How are you doing? How am I doing? Come on, come on, come on. This is a litmus test of our growth in Christ. I have circumstances take a turn for the worst. What are your circumstances like right now? He says he's done with you. You can't get that job. You've rejected from that school. Your loved one is sick. Do you still have joy? Do you still have peace? Do you still have love? Fruitful spirit, Christians, people that are walking and going to the spirit, they're not immune to the harshness of life. They get knocked down. We all get knocked down. But the ones that are walking and going to the spirit, they dust themselves up and they get up and they keep walking. You can't steal their joy. You can't steal their peace. You can't steal their love. No matter how hard and difficult it gets. People that are walking toward spirit are not perfect people by any means. But there is a rootedness that's beyond the circumstance of the world, and so it endures. Is that good news? That's what I want for you. That's what I want for my life. Okay. So, so he, 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 here's where we're, where we're sort of ending here today. How, do you, how does this happen in your life? First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, Peter says, Grow up in your salvation. Grow up. Fruit of the Spirit is not about, we said, importing some foreign objects that are not there because we have so little peace, joy, and love. 
The astonishing things the Bible says should be true of us. All of these characteristics and attributes, they should be true of us in Christians. The Bible says, it is in a sense already true of you and already true of me. We already have within us, not just potential, but in real seed form, the nature of God, the divine nature of God. And so the question is not, hey, how do you, how do you get this to somehow be important in your life? The question is, hey, when are you going to grow up and be the real you? You have it in you. That is, these they're in you in seed form. The divine nature of God. When are you going to grow up? This is the reason why theologians call it through the Spirit, communicable attributes of God. Can I just be a little bit theological? Scholars talk about two different attributes of God, characteristics. Incommunicable attributes, communicable attributes of God. Incommunicable attributes of God are things like God's omniscience. He knows everything all at once. Omnipotence. He is all-powerful. Omnipresence. He is everywhere. Psalm 139 all at once. Uh, even though you want to be that, we can't. I know some of us, our God complex says, that would really be cool if I could be all those. God says, no, that's for him and him alone. Thank you very much. But then God says, hey, do you know that there's some communicable attributes, God, like joy, love, peace? Do you know why they're called communicable attributes? Because you can catch it. Communicable disease. Have you heard of the term communicable disease? How do you catch it? Real close to my toe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did. Communicable disease. How do you catch it? Closeness, near. You live with them. You care for them. Communicable attributes. How do you catch these attributes of God that are already in you? Being near, being close, touching, fellowshipping, abiding. Communicable attributes of God. How do you get it? By being near. Do you know why this is powerful? Do you know why this is powerful? Because we began this journey by saying, John 15, 5, how do you, how do you, how do you have these character attributes be born in you? Jesus says, abide in me. And as I abide in you, you will what? Bear much fruit. Do you know why he said that? He says, this is what it means. Get close. Come on, come near. Come on. Fellowship. Nearness. It's beholding the glory of God. It's seeing him for who he is. That's how you catch it. That's how you catch it. Engineer types, give me the four steps. How do I do that? How do I? It's a relationship. Do you ever go into a relationship and go, what are the four ways that we're going to, you know? No, you don't. What do you do? Hey, what you doing tonight? Seven o'clock. Let's go get some. Let's go get some Japanese noodles at Wasabi. You sit there, you get close, you share the noodles. You don't get two, you get one, and you split it, and you eat it. You didn't tell the person you were sick, so they get sick, but you think it's awesome. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Communicable, be close. That's how you catch it. How do you catch this thing? By being close to Jesus. Can I end by telling you how wonderful Jesus is? Can I tell you about how wonderful Jesus is? Can I tell you a big secret about preaching a new community? Do you know that after every, every sermon, every sermon in the Bible, I show you from Genesis to Revelation how Jesus is there everywhere. Do you know that? That's what I do. Everywhere in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, I take you to Jesus and I go, I want you to get near to him. I want you to catch it. Catch it. Be close. Catch it. Can I show you Jesus? Check this out. Early, early on in the Bible in Genesis, the Bible says the world was fruitful. Can you imagine walking? Mm, it was sweet. Awesome. Right? Awesome. Eve, check this out. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Everything was fruitful. It was amazing. And God says, but there's one fruit. Don't touch it or you will die. We took it. And we thought it was going to be the sweetest fruit of them all. Do you know why? Because that fruit, you know what it represented? 
I'm going to be my own God, my own master, my own Lord. And we thought, that's going to be the sweetest thing of all. Free, I get to do my own, master Lord of my own universe. I get, but we turned out that the fruit wasn't sweet. It was what? Poisonous. It was bitter. Here's what God says. In Deuteronomy 29, I want you to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 29, God is speaking to the Israelites and he's giving them this covenant contract. And it's what he says. When you go among the Canaanites, when you go among the pagans, he says, so that there will be not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from today from the Lord our God to go and serve other gods of those nations. And he says the result of that is so that there will not be among you a root that bears gall, which is poisonous fruit and wormwood. In Deuteronomy 29, here's what God says. God says, look, in the garden, you took that fruit. You want to be only God, own master. You wanted to worship other idols. And God said, remember how that turned out to be really, really bitter and not sweet. Really, really bitter and definitely not sweet. God says, that is what's going to happen. To be your own Lord, to be your own master. And yet the Israelites did the same thing. They worshipped other gods. They worshipped other idols. And the sweetest fruit that they thought they were going after to be their own God and Lord, it turned out to be bitter. And the Bible says this. I'm telling you literally the story from Genesis Revelation. Instead of bearing fruit of the Spirit, living for ourselves resulted in death, resulted in bitter fruit. Instead of, instead, of, instead of bearing fruit in our lives, in our desire to be free, we became enslaved to gods. We became enslaved to other idols. We became enslaved to these things that we thought were going to give us life. And the result was death and disintegration everywhere. Spiritually, we're alienated from God. We can't know this God and know the sweetness of the fellowship with God. Each other, our relationship with each other broken. The result is racism, ethnocentrism, wars amongst nations. The created order is also infected with poison. And it doesn't function the way it's supposed to. And God says, there's a day coming when I'm going to send the Messiah who is going to restore all things and the entire world is going to be fruitful once again. And Jesus in his death and resurrection says, I have come to bring cosmic renewal, cosmic fruitfulness in every sense, not just us and God, us and each other, but the created order. And after his resurrection, Jesus says, I'm going to send you somebody called the Holy Spirit, and he is going to live in you, and he's going to finish the work I began. And Paul in Romans 8 says this, we are recipients of the first fruit. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, here's how you and I know that God is going to fulfill his promise to make the entire world, including us, fruitful once again. He says, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you right now. And the fruit of the Spirit that is being born in you right now, that is like foretaste, like hors d'oeuvres, hors d'oeuvres of what is to come. How do we know? How can we be sure that God is going to fulfill this promise? You ready? Matthew 27. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, they offer him wine mixed with what? Gall. Jesus took the gall, poisonous, wormwood, bitter herb, so that we can taste the sweet. Jesus took upon himself wormwood and gall so that we can bear fruit. Jesus was cast out by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we can be brought in? Is this good news? Jesus everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere in the Bible. Carlton, you can come on up. Do you know what this means? 
That means when you look at the cross, church, listen to me, listen to me, everybody look up here. When you look at the cross and you say, he did that for me, he did die for, he died for sin, here's what we do. We go, he died for sin. And we think of sin out there, idolatry, living for ourselves, you know, greed, lust, all of these things, immorality. We think he didn't die for sin out there, he died for sin in us. In us. He didn't just stand in place of sin generally. He stood in place of sin that is in us. In us. When he stood in our place, he stood for sin of idolatry, of being our own Lord and masters, of having to do what we want to do in the way we want it in us. He died for that, not some gentle thing out there. Has that hit you? Has that hit me? It is when we know that he did that for me and you're melted with the heart that God's plan to make the entire world fruitful again was only accomplished because Jesus took upon himself the poisonous, deadly fruit that none of us was willing to take. Do you know how you change? Look at God. Do you want to be more patient? Look at the patience of God with you. And to the degree that you and I see the patience of God for us. And when we see the patience of God for us, it is to that degree that we will ever be patient with other people. Do you want to be more kind? I'm going to try to be more kind. Look at the kindness of God for you until that melts your heart. Because it is his kindness that brings us to repentance, the woman says. Do you want to be more loving? I got to be more loving. I got to steps. Look at the love of God for you. And when you see that, and the degree to you see that, can you love your wife and your husband and your enemy? Look at God until it grips your heart. For those of us, God, that have a hard time singing this out with passion, with deep joy, God, show us a glimpse of you. Help us to behold the glory of God until we see it and we are melted by it. We don't need to do more, God. Help us to behold more and more and more clearly. Powerfully transformation. Jesus, become real big to us and help us to resize the proportion of our lives in accordance with you. Increase so that we may decrease, oh God. You are Lord, you are Creator, God. You are sovereign maker. We stand in awe. We stand in awe.
say this boldly and declare it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. all God's people said, Amen. Amen.